Hello, I'm Julia Tilford and I'm delighted to welcome you to this podcast from Young Lives, a longitudinal study of poverty and inequality in the Global South. This podcast features three in-depth conversations between Young Lives Director Professor Kath Porter and research and policy experts to explore the topic of children's skills, particularly how these skills develop and what this means for children's futures. In the first episode, Kath explores the less well-documented socio-emotional skills with Dr Matthew Dukes. In the second, Dr Renu Singh joins Kath to spotlight gender differences in higher education completion in India. And in a three-way conversation, Young Lives Senior Policy Officer Kath Ford and Foreign Commonwealth Development Officers Sarah Lane Smith join Kath to explore what policies can support children's skill development and how change to improve young lives comes about. We really hope you enjoy these conversations. You can find all the research on our website at www.younglives.org.uk and for regular updates, follow us on social media. We'd like to thank all our contributors to this podcast and note that the views expressed here are their own. And finally, we thank all our funders for their generous support of Young Lives Research, especially Echidna Giving, whose funding made these podcasts possible. And so, over to Kath. So I'm Kath Porter. I'm the director of the Young Lives Programme at the University of Oxford. I think people coming to this podcast probably know who we are. We've been running for more than 20 years now in Ethiopia, India, Peru and Vietnam. We've been following the lives of 12,000 children since the beginning of the millennium. And it's a very broad based study that looks at all aspects of children's lives as they develop. And I'm here today with Dr. Matthew Jukes, who's a fellow in international education at RTI International. And he's got 25 years of academic and professional experience in the education sector and worked in several countries, including uh, Tanzania in particular. He's worked at Harvard University and he's also done many um, consultancies and uh, collaborations with places like the World Bank, UNICEF, UNESCO, USAID and save the children. So hi Matthew. Hi Kath. Nice to be talking to you nice today. To be here. Today we want to talk about something which has several terms in the literature, psychosocial skills, socio-emotional skills, non-cognitive skills to the economists. Can you decipher this uh, language a little bit and try to tell us what we're talking about here? Yes, well I mean I think the sector lacks a pithy definition or a concise, consistent term, just because it does include so many different types of skills. But I use social and emotional competencies or skills, um, which I think covers most of what we talk about, that the emotional is understanding, recognizing and being able to express your own emotions, to manage your own emotions and to recognize emotions in others. And then social is about being able to interpret and navigate the social world and um, interact with others, have uh, healthy relationships. But I think the term, although the focus is on the social and emotional, there are more cognitive competences that people include in this bracket, such as executive functional skills, which are about managing, setting goals and managing your behavior around achieving those goals, but also things like creativity and critical thinking get thrown in there as well. But uh, 
maybe we'll use social and emotional skills for, for, for this chat. Great, great. Thank you. And in your career, you've done a lot of work, obviously, on this topic, which is why we're talking today. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your sort of personal journey and uh, academic journey through navigating this work? Yeah, so I started my post-PhD career um, with a group that was interested in the impact of health and nutrition on children's cognitive development. So I did a couple of um, several studies, but two in particular, one in Tanzania and one in the Gambia, where we were looking at the impact and measuring a set of fairly standard IQ-like tests, cognitive tests, but was very interested in getting the perspective of the populations who were involved in the research, what they valued as competences for their children to develop. And, and what you find um, uh, across sub-Saharan Africa, particularly in rural areas of sub-Saharan Africa, that people value a whole set of things um, above cognitive skills like um, social responsibility is a useful term um, that, that uh, encompasses a whole set of these traits, but things like kindness and cooperation and respect and obedience uh, will tend to be the first things that certainly the populations in the Gambia and the Tanzania and Tanzania told us were um, the things they wanted their children to develop, you know, before cognitive skills. So I think, in a way, this is something that that we in the in the global north have have come to <laughs> more recently, but has always been central to the values of of African communities. Right, right, and. Um... Like you say, yes, we, we we've come late to it. I think this is something where in in the past we've we've often been very focused on, as you say, cognitive skills, things like reading, writing, arithmetic. But what you're saying is that on top of this, these these other skills are more valued potentially in in global south contexts. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I mean broadly the the sort of rationale for thinking that there's a difference is. Um, I mean, there's this fascinating work on how people um, construct the, self, the sense of self, um, either a, a kind of Western, but particularly common in yeah, Western, but urban, educated, um, industrialized societies. You have a view of the self as being independent. You think of yourself as, you know, you, you, you have perspectives and preferences and, and, and self-esteem. Um, and in communities, particularly with a, a history of um, subsistence agriculture, uh, the self is construed as more in, interdependent, that you think of yourself in relationship to others and things like sense of belonging, respect, obedience, togetherness are more important um, than thinking about your own, your own self. So it seems you've you've got very direct experience yourself of of talking to people in the Gambia in Tanzania about the importance of these skills and the value they place for their children and what opportunities it gives to to children, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I ever actually speak to the people themselves, but I'm <laughs> tra training a group of people who are I'm standing around the corner whilst they're talking to them. Right. Um, yeah. Yes, but I'm and it's amazing how you, you find this consistently across Africa, these things that um, are valued, um, that respect, obedience, sense of community. Um, and it makes sense because if you think about what's uh, functional for people's lives or what's adaptive for people's lives, if you're living in a small community, um, you know, 
and you're and you you're farming, you're working in a large family group, maybe you're farming. What makes you economically productive is is functioning as a group, not particularly standing out or being creative. Um, and all your relationships that you have are with people you know and you see every day. So maintaining those relationships is is, is paramount. Mm-hmm. Because if you compare that to um, a, an urban environment, even even you know within Tanzania or the Gambia, where commerce is is prevalent, you need cognitive skills to to be able to um, uh, participate in, in commercial activities and use technology. Um, most of the people you interact with are strangers, mm-hmm. so you have more fleeting interactions. Yeah. So those kind of those you know those interpersonal skills or or the sort of um, maintaining relationships with people is less important. So it makes complete sense that. That by and large, I and mean, culture changes slowly, but but by and large, um, it's set up to adapt to uh, uh, the the needs of the society you live in. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And what's the state of the academic literature on on this topic? Is is there a lot of um, research evidence? Do we have surveys on this topic, or how how do we measure skills like this? Uh, well, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I think that the the academic literature, even in the global north, is is um, has a long way to go. But there's been a lot of progress in recent decades in, in measurement um, uh, and evaluations. I mean, we we know. I'm particularly interested in in the role of social emotional skills in um, in education and in and the development of academic skills. And we know that lots of studies largely in the global north that um that programs to develop children's social emotional skills can have a benefit to their uh, academic skills um but there's a huge dearth of uh research in the global south we just take one example of um africa africa is home to a quarter of the world's children and 0.6 percent of research in top child development journals so there's a complete mismatch yeah, and I think one yeah. of the challenges is that because of what I was saying earlier about you know we have these um, we, these theories and, and frameworks and, and some good anthropological evidence of what about how childhoods are different in to take the extremes um, you know uh, a small subsistence agricultural community in a in a big city um, that people's intuitions are about the kind of things that are important can be way off. Like if maybe you, you, you've read dozens of articles about the importance of self-esteem. You feel self-esteem is important to you. Like it makes sense to you that self-esteem is a critical thing, right? But because there's just no research, um, uh, in, you know, these other contexts and lack of academic voice in these other contexts, it, it could be that it isn't. And, you know, I would argue that maybe a sense of belonging is more important than how you see yourself, that kind of the sense of self-esteem that we have. Um, but largely, as I say, we just don't know because there's just a huge lack of, uh, of research in this area. So, Matthew, I wanted to talk more specifically about the work you've been doing uh, recently using the Young Lives data set, uh, investigating gender differences in the evolution of socio-emotional skills. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit more about it, please? Yes, well, um, it's been great to have the opportunity to work on this um, the, the Young Lives data set. Um, 
you can tell you you'll know better than me what what it consists of but it consists of what five five rounds of um of data that we've been able to analyze over 20 something years yeah. in four countries um and just ha and following the same individuals over time so you've been able to really understand the growth in a set of skills that you measured and understand the relationship between those skills yeah. So, as I say, in a field where we're really lacking in information, it's it's really been a, a goldmine to be able to to dig into it. Um, we looked at a, I guess, a couple of questions over over two papers, um, that were focused on the development throughout adolescence of competences, social emotional competences that relate to the self, things like self-efficacy, the belief that you can that you can be effective in what you do, particularly academically, um, an agency, the feeling that you have control over your life. Yeah. Uh, so these were the things we looked at um, across the four countries. And there are a couple of things that came out of the data which were interesting. Uh, one was looking at the the gender differences in the development of um, these these competences. We found this particularly clearly for self-efficacy that throughout adolescence, the, the gender gap um, widens with boys out, outperforming girls in this sense of self-efficacy. And this is something we see from in the, the literature from elsewhere, that it seems that adolescence is a particularly important time for the development of concepts of self. And it's when gender differences tend to emerge where they do. Um, so it's interesting that we find this at least in, in three of the four countries in the Young Life study. And it has huge implications, of course, that as girls, young women are leaving education and going into employment, they're starting that journey at a disadvantage and that they have less feeling of control over their lives, less um, sense in their own, um, or less confidence in their own abilities. Um, and we, we don't know yet because we haven't followed them beyond that point, but the expectation is that that would set them at a disadvantage in, um, in a whole range of future life outcomes. Yeah. And I mean, in, in other work that's been done using young lives, this is also despite the fact that in some cases, for example, in Vietnam, actually girls are outperforming boys in maths, for example. Yeah. But the gender gap in the in the socio-emotional skills is girls are at the disadvantage. Yeah, that's right. And and so the the other interesting thing we found, which relates to that, was um, about the relationship between academic and uh, uh, skills and self-efficacy. And of course, when you're when you're a, a, um, a school pupil, you spend a lot of time at school and how well you do there is a major source of how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And we found in the data um, actually a bi-directional relationship that children who were uh, doing better in, um, it, which we looked just at mathematics, but children who are doing better in mathematics had a stronger sense of feeling of control over their lives but then those who had a stronger feeling of control over their lives went on to have better better maths later on. So there was this bi-directional relationship. But, right. but going back to your original question, even even though we find this relationship between academic achievement and and self-efficacy, in Vietnam, as you say, um, there isn't the girls are doing at least as well as boys, mm. and yet their their sense of their, their sense of efficacy, self-efficacy is 
still reduced compared to boys. So um, it's an interesting finding. Yeah. And we don't, I, I think we, we haven't really got to the bottom of where those come from. Uh, mm. But by and large, it seems that the countries with um, more positive gender attitudes, that is that people perceive that uh, boys and girls, men and women, um, have similar roles in society and can do things um, equally well, um, tend to have, are less likely to have this gender difference in, um, in, in self-efficacy. So, Matthew, when you say three out of the four countries, girls are at a disadvantage with regard to the development of their socio-emotional skills, can we just delve into which of the three countries that is? Yeah, sure. So, two countries were India and Ethiopia, and those were the countries also with less equal attitudes to gender roles. So that was consistent. Mm -hmm. And then the other country um, was Vietnam. And we didn't see the pattern in Peru. The findings are really interesting. How about policy implications then of the work? Well, I think the implication um, of this study in particular is that if we can implement interventions that are able to improve girls' self-concept, self-efficacy and sense of agency, then we may be able to narrow this gap and, and prevent the knock-on effect in future life outcomes. Um, there are studies out there that have shown um, a positive impact on these kind of um, self-related concepts for adolescent girls. Um, RTI recently, last year, we published a, a review of programs in lower middle income countries that had been shown to have an effect. And one of them um, was uh, a study in a program in Uganda that had been successful at Im improving um, a whole range of outcomes, including things like um, uh, sort of empowerment related outcomes, including things like agency for, for, for girls. Um, so that would be a clear policy implication. Yeah. I think more broadly, uh, what we found in, in that review that we conducted um, is that there have been a number of effective approaches to building children's social-emotional skills in low- and middle-income countries. One approach is a very direct um, sort of taking children aside, taking pupils aside into a, a separate class and, uh, and having a, a set of activities with them uh, to build skills. Things that have been successful in, in that category have been things like um, developing children's growth mindset, you know, the belief that if you work hard, you'll, you'll, you'll improve your abilities, um, particularly academic abilities. Uh, things like mindfulness um, and uh, executive function, so that sort of um, goal-directed planning kind of behavior. Mm. All of these things have been shown to work in different contexts as um, uh, sort of targeted skills programs. Um, other approaches have been successful by trying to infuse these things rather than take them, taking a separate lesson, infuse them into instruction so that they're part maybe of textbooks or just in the way that teachers interact, um, uh, help develop children's skills um, through typical lessons. And then another approach is focused on school climate. So trying to really, in some ways, responding to children's social emotional needs um, and particularly in contexts where, you know, that chalk and talk kind of education is common, mm -hmm. 
uh, and there's a, a need to get children to be uh, more involved, um, participate more in their learning, ask questions, um, then creating that welcoming, the emotionally supportive and welcoming environment for children to do that is very important, has been shown to be successful in a, a couple of contexts. How enthusiastic are governments about this kind of policy? Um, do they? Do you have any examples of where where governments are open to this kind of thing or or against it? Well, I think that um, there is support um, uh, for these kind of programs. Um, I think we haven't had great examples of these programs going to scale of working how to get them to fit them into the into the curriculum um but there is a lot of enthusiasm i went to a um a fantastic uh initiative the rally initiative in east africa um a couple of months ago for a conference which is a regional east african conference and all the governments i think eight or nine governments of east africa were there and all very keen on um, I mean, the the, meeting, the the term we used in the meeting was life skills, but mm. all very keen that life skills is in, is integrated into the curriculum somehow. So I think that there there is support. Um, I, I think some of the things we need to do to get more support. I, I feel like um, you know these skills are important for a whole range of things. They're important for well being for for a whole range of life outcomes. Um, I think demonstrating that education is more effective when you focus on these skills, the children learn the, the reading and writing and arithmetic more effectively because you focus on these skills could be a very, um, a key way to, to persuade, to advocate for, for this, these kind of programs. And I think, and as, as I said, the, the figuring out ways to, to take these programs to scale, um, you know, because they can be quite involved, targeting a lot, of, a, a range of different competences. Um, so, how to take to them, them to scale within a within a national education system, I think, is a challenge too. So, Matthew, how do you see the research agenda developing in the future? Well, I think there are a number of fronts we need to work on. Um, one of the issues I just mentioned, which is trying to understand better how these skills. Uh, have an impact on children's academic skills. Uh, we have some research, a national survey we did in primary schools in Kenya, which has has some nice results that actually a whole range of different social emotional skills help children to succeed academically. Um, I think there's a need I, I see also to get fine grained. You, you know we. In most of this conversation, we are still talking very generally about social emotional skills, but like that covers, you know, empathy, relationships, cognitive flexibility, creativity. Which of these are, are important and in what ways? And I'm also very passionate about the idea of um, understanding these skills, which, which of these skills are important in context um, and trying to do a better uh, a better job of catering to the needs of, of populations which which i think is challenging because i mean I, i've talked about the 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 rationale um why we think some skills may be different in, in different contexts around the world that have uh, valued differently uh, are important for life in different ways but of course 
everywhere is changing and and you know education itself is a major instrument of change um and we found in our research in, in Tanzania that if you compare the kind of the kind of uh, social emotional skills that are valued by teachers they often differ from those valued by parents which is kind of some way a sort of microcosm of i think of cultural change and teachers tend to you know be educated and come from urban urban environments so for example we found that um teachers want students to have self-confidence and curiosity are, are two things that teachers mentioned in in, in tanzania that the parents didn't right. so um there's a really interesting divide there um which uh, and that's particularly in rural areas but you find that parents in um even in small towns tend to endorse curiosity as a as a as a value more than in and rural areas so i think that then the challenge in designing programs to support social emotional skills and, and and working out which ones to focus on means you have to balance the priorities of i mean what experience is the child getting at home versus what are they getting at school but also what is adaptive for their lives now versus what will be adaptive for their lives in 10 years time when they leave school how how will society have changed so i think this is a, a you know a conversation with a lot of different groups of stakeholders and uh, and research to to understand that thanks very much matthew it's been a pleasure my pleasure